The turn of each year always brings swathes of reports, offering new trends and predictions. The DPP is no different. We end each year by reporting the major trends to emerge from our annual leaders' briefing, and then we start each new year with our report from the Consumer Electronics Show, CES, and also our own industry predictions, imaginatively called the DPP predictions. These three reports are always hugely popular, which is great. We like to think it's because they're so damn good. But maybe it's also because everyone just seems to love a good trend. But why is that? Is it because trends provide a chance for us to test whether our view of the world and of what matters is the same as other people's? Or is it because understanding trends is genuinely important for business success? In this DPP podcast, we ask, who needs trends? Hi there, I'm Mark Harrison. I'm the CEO of the DPP. And I'm Rowan de Pomeray. I'm the CTO of the DPP. And Mark and I have just come back from the HPA tech retreat in Palm Springs in California. And I tell you what, that was uh, packed with trends, wasn't it, Mark? It sure was. But there was, uh, you know, there was some that we might have expected. Discussion of, of the move to the cloud, discussion of virtual production. But what actually I found really interesting was that there was a good half day given over to a trend that I don't think we've ever spoken about before, Mark, which is the uh, the rise of Cine Live uh, using sort of cinematic shooting styles and cinematic cameras for, for live content. Really, really interesting editorial trend that we just haven't touched on before. Yet. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's here and now and it's happening. Um, you know, lo- lots of major artists now wanting their performances to be shot in a filmic style and therefore requiring the use of technology normally applied to movie making. But of course, doing that live is quite a thing, especially when you're streaming it as well. And yeah, I think it's a, it's a really good example, isn't it, of the fact that maybe sometimes we're guilty in our business of always looking at the trends we think are like five years out and missing the ones that are right under our nose. Yeah, absolutely. I think we we sometimes just need to pay a little bit more attention to what is actually going on in our businesses and and in consumer behaviour as well, Um, because very often we are, as you say, just focused a little bit too far in the future sometimes. So to discuss this topic of trends, what's useful about them and whether we really need them, uh, we've got a special guest. But before I introduce her, I just want to thank two companies that made this podcast possible. The first is Dell Technologies. Now, Dell has sponsored two of our CES reports and two events that explore their findings. And that's hugely appreciated because it takes a lot of time and resource for us to cover what is the biggest trade show in the world. And also, Dell, I have to say, is a great partner for us because even though they're a company that's at the heart of the CES show uh, you know, themselves with their computer and gaming products, they do stand right back and they let us tell the story as we see it. So big thanks to them. And thanks also to Dillette who gave additional support this year to our CES work and also to this podcast. And Dillette have always been interested in supporting uh, thought leadership in our work um, and indeed have done it themselves. I I remember really well at the start of the pandemic, 
they held one of the first virtual events that began to ask what the long-term impacts of this extraordinary event could be. So it feels very fitting that they're helping the DPP to document major trends as we finally, finally begin to emerge out of lockdown. So again, thanks to them. Okay, let me introduce our guest. We're joined today by Elena Cochero, who's Director of Events, Emerging Tech and Innovation at Dow Jones. Now, Elena, I think if I was to ask Google to offer me somebody whose CV most expressed a life of, in- of innovation, it would probably offer up you. <laughs> well, thanks so much. I honestly haven't heard that one before. So <laughs> thank you very much. I think um, in a way, maybe what differentiate my line of work uh, from other similar research and trend forecasting and so on work is that I'm very hands-on. So I go and learn coding if I have to. I've in the past I've done hardware development. Um, I was a specialist before starting to work in in, in um, emerging trend forecasting. Um, I was a specialist on wearables and biometrics. So that's more mm-hmm. hardware based. And um, and uh, yes, I mean that was very lucky because I I worked in a team at the MIT Media Lab Europe when there was a base in Europe, actually in Dublin, long, long, long time ago, I won't say. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, and in a way, I think I got into wearables um, much earlier than wearables got into the market. And maybe that's why then I became um, an specialist on, on forecasting. Yeah. Oh, that's really very Yeah, I mean, that's so, yeah, into something before it had quite happened, but of course did eventually happen. Wearables are now a huge thing. Yeah, I, I usually call my line of work um, making the future tangible today for brands. That's what I do. And I think that's different, the differentiator. It's not about talking about the future. It's actually showing prototypes and testing what can be possible and that way understanding better the impact that can have in uh, in society as a whole, but more specifically in, in your specific industry and the market that you're trying um, to cover. Okay, well, maybe that's actually a really good place for us to start because, as I said at the beginning, we all do love hearing about new trends. But my question is, are they really useful to businesses? And it sounds like you might suggest that if you, if there's enough of a trend that you can start to do something with that technology and try it out, then yes, they can be. Would that be right? I think... Today, especially uh, as you were mentioning, how technologies are moving so fast and adoption is moving so fast. And after the pandemic, I think people are just more tech uh, literate. Like yeah. people now have lost all this fear of trying a new technology, um, businesses, but also uh, users. Um, so I think in a way, the problem is um, is the confusion. I think that it's out there. It's just too much noise. Um, about many, many different technologies. Um, and I think it's probably understanding where one should focus on or if one wants to find ways of diversifying their portfolio. I think that's the, that's the number one. So then how should a company identify what it should focus on? Are there some, some guidelines in your mind to that? I think companies should have 
experts on internally experts because a lot of the market research I notice companies do are actual consumer and market research and there are many many cases where a technology has been disruptive because it comes to the world when no one expected it and not because you have asked people what what will your life be if xyz existed a lot of people might not have the expertise or understanding or, or global understanding of, of how a technology can disrupt their lives until they actually have a product they have something to play with so i think it's very important to balance having an expertise on on technology together with that market research and not just follow what the audience always thinks it might be the best for them but to balance that out it's very important obviously to always listen to the to the consumer uh, but balance that out with with an expert that can see beyond that. Interesting. In fact, from what you're saying, perhaps one shouldn't necessarily listen to the consumer so much as just watch them and, and watch how they're starting to use something because they probably don't even really know themselves. A, a lot of the studies uh, I do internally, um, it's, it's looking at blind spots. Like when everybody's doing too much noise somewhere, what are we maybe missing out and there is always something there is always something and then you analyze if it's if it's worth focusing on it or or not a good example is uh, ar where where we strongly believe that persist so persistent ar like 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 pokemon go a great example how long ago was that and what has happened in between not much really mm. um and are we not perhaps missing out on the amazing opportunities of audio persistent AR, where the idea of locally, uh, you know, locally based augmented reality, it's a storytelling, not so much about visual for, because of, uh, it's easier to deploy as well, technically, but it's just um, a very strong medium audio. So things like that is, is the things that I question in the team. And I think that's what, what's important and what, what I enjoy the most uh, of my work is that, yeah, you have to be aware of all the trends and market research and so on, but you don't just follow. You, you have this role, um, this philosophical role almost of questioning things and looking elsewhere and be, have lateral thinking. And I think that's the, that's the challenge of the job also because of how fastly moving um, technology and trends are right now. Very exciting. I think it's really interesting what you're saying about um, uh, sort of watching user behavior there, Mark, as well. And, you know, to, to your world of wearables, Elena, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about the introduction of smartwatches sort of a few years back where, you know, companies like Apple were, were standing up and showing off these products and talking about all sorts of features around communication, for example, Um with stuff like health monitoring being just one of many features that that people were talking about, and you fast forward to to now when when you know health monitoring and fitness monitoring is absolutely the heart of most of those products, and and I think there's a really interesting thing there where products are starting to come into the market, and we we might not yet quite even know what the potential of them is, but in a in a software defined world where we can evolve this stuff over time, actually you, you can take feedback on user behavior and continue to evolve that. Yeah, I can really remember when I was going to CES and the first wearables were emerging and, and they were strongly linked to health and everyone was waiting for the Apple Watch to appear. 
you know and i was saying along with others yeah well of course when the apple watch appears it, it, apple always moves the conversation somewhere else there's no way that that's just going to be another sort of health monitoring device you know but what will it be and of course <laughs> it was another health monitoring device essentially um it's just that it was a a nicer a better one and and mm. it's just about the quality of the product and uh yeah some sometimes I guess change and innovation can be a lot simpler than we imagine. We we kind of want to to overlay too much complexity on it. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, for the user, yes, you have to think of something that um, that has the most intuitive way of of uh, utilizing it. That is almost like don't read the manual, just plug and play kind of thing. Uh, th those are definitely the solutions that work best. Um, but um, I think, well, something that is particularly important for me now, uh, after having worked a lot in hardware and physical tech and all of this, and now, as you mentioned, wearables finally being here because it's, it's been kind of my dream for the last decade. Like, when when is it really going to take off? Well, it turns out that now, actually, most recently, I did um, I wanted to look into the ethics of all of these technologies, and it's mainly because because of the scale, the scale we have today, we have seen that with social media, with the attention economy. I think if there is a trend I really care about is actually not so much into the technologies, but into the ethics, into the side effects of the technology. Mm -hmm. And um, so I wanted to go deeper into understanding this. And I did a course, uh, it's, it's, there is a course now, a new course in Harvard for um, ethics of AI because I really wanted to understand the background of the philosophical background of, of ethics as humans, no? as, as our rights as humans. And we looked at the ethics of the attention economy and using AI in to automate, you know, gel sentences and things like that. Incredible, yeah, in, in, incredible subjects that maybe, um, well, I think people are more and more talking about it. But then when we move into biometrics and I actually, um, well, I have a goal to release a book, but that's going to be <laughs> that's going to be tough. I've never written a book before, but um, I just want you to think on this uh, to get your opinion on this uh, thought. That was my thought started that the attention economy, it's a still a way of voluntarily sharing data. Yeah. But the biometrics economy is involuntary. And I think ethically, that that definitely you know puts puts a, a line at some point. Where is the line? Um, and in terms of trends, that's something that I personally care a lot about: the the trends on AI ethics. So what I find interesting about that is that I think in our industry we haven't had to think too much about this before i mean you know there was there wasn't particularly an ethical dimension to whether we went from black and white to color or or you know from videotape to digital or whether we're going to introduce 5g or you know all these things or initially maybe even when we were first thinking about vr and ar and i guess for for people who are trying to think about where trends might be taking us you have to also now try and predict whether regulation could actually intervene in a trend that otherwise left to its own devices would unfold in a particular direction. 
Yeah, and I, and I think r- regulators are becoming faster, but it's still it's still a, a um, how did we call it earlier a first mover advantage thing against the law almost uh, as well. Um, it's very hard to regulate things until you truly truly understand them. That's one of the reasons I want to write about it to, to kind of try and put ourselves in a specific biometric economy situations and analyze them and and and, and prepare ourselves for that because right now biometrics are external devices but very soon are implants yeah and then you so i'm really you know since i worked on it about more than a decade ago it's yeah it's a very strong matter but we mentioned earlier the metaverse and there are little things that i'm starting to analyze about the metaverse and the, the growth of nfts um because i see the metaverse as this opportunity to break barriers uh, in terms of time and space between humans and people. But now you have NFTs and people are creating clothing for your avatars and we are materializing and capitalizing a new world that has all of this other potential for social equality. And then it's like, oh, if you have the money, you have the avatar, you have the clothes. Otherwise, what do you have? And then it becomes a world. I don't know. I, I, I fear that. And we are exploring to create our own worlds that won't have these biases, for example. And that's what I mean, that it's important for brands probably to see some of these trends with a critical eye and see if they can add something more valuable to it. Um, but yeah, the metaverse is growing very fast and there is a strong monetary incentive that might cloud all of the positives in a way. It's interesting, isn't it? Because there's, I mean, Mark, you called this out in in our CES report. There's a, a huge amount of companies kind of jumping on the metaverse bandwagon as it were and rebadging things that that might have just been called you know virtual a, a, a year ago as as metaverse so i'm kind of interested in how you know what how do you figure out when is the right time to for, for for your company to to start thinking about these things because there is a real risk that you jump into this you know massively too early and and it's all way too nascent and it distracts from your core business there's also a risk that you leave it too late and get left behind so so how how do companies make those decisions it's a tough one and to be honest i'll be totally honest here i started my career in one of those decisions which was wearables way too early way 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 too early but it has taken me where i am now so you know i guess as long as you are good at pivoting and understanding your position and taking opportunities um you should be fine i think if you understand that there is a wide variety of return on investment what return on investment means then if that's clear for you there is a variety of ways that you can say you have won from a project that maybe didn't turn out as as you expected I do worry personally a little bit that um, that almost any organization that uses media likes to think of itself as, if you like, having more influence than it than it really does, and that it thinks it think every single one of them think they need to show the world that they are at the cutting edge and they're exploring the future. And personally, I'm now of the view that 
um, that can no longer be the case. That there are lots of media organisations that simply cannot afford any longer to be trying to present themselves in that way because their resource is limited. And while they're trying to tell the world that you know they're great at R and D and they're all about experimenting with the future, they could be losing. They could be losing right now in the here and now. Well, it's, it's about brand values, isn't it? Do you do you want to be known as a technological innovator, or do you want to be known as a source of phenomenal, high quality content? Um, you know, do you want to be known as providing a great user experience? Um, you know, delivering a really smooth, great quality streaming experience, or do you want to be worrying about you know presenting video in whole new environments and and, and new ways? And and you know, maybe there are different answers for different companies, but. But I think you're right, Mark. It's easy to get caught up in in you know, what what might look sexy. Yeah, and I, I love what you said earlier on, Elena, about um, needing your own expertise, sort of in house, that is able to look at any new trend objectively, and and really try and assess um, what it might mean for for you as. A business and I wonder how many organizations actually are good at that uh, actually have the kind of the self-discipline to force themselves to really think carefully about sort of logically how this particular trend is most likely to evolve and therefore whether logically they're likely to have a role in it or or they're not um, yeah, I definitely think that. But I, I mean, as I was mentioning earlier, we're probably in this lucky position where because we have the newsroom, which obviously is is bonded by super strong ethics. Though John seriously now working there, um, I understand how how precious the ethics of the newsroom are um, versus as that because we are in events, we can work with the sponsors and we can explore the future together and and the newsroom has to be more focused on on the content and the truth whether we can work with the sponsors and be more experimental i think we're in a very lucky position of having these two sides um, that maybe not every 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 company has, but yes, when you look at at trends, like I will say, some of my favorite trends right now that we cannot follow because it's not our industry is biotechnology or neuroscience. Mm. And I think you have to understand, okay, to what extent do we see our company of Dow Jones events moving into biotech or neuroscience? It's just not something that at the moment we will see. It's our market, but for other people, I will be like, "Wow, it's understanding the human brain." That's the next. That's really the next uh, largest trend, and and wearables have a lot to do with this. Yeah. So, but you know, you say that with complete clarity, don't you? Is that uh, Dow Jones doesn't need to go into that space right now? Um, mm-hmm. But you might have colleagues who think that uh, that perhaps it should. That like you know, every area is. Is, is open to adventure. So, Well, if you push it a little bit, yeah, of course, neuroscience to understand how people get affected by the knowledge 
that that we that we provide. Um, so our motto is trust your decisions, trust your source, trust your decisions. Can we measure that with biometrics and neuroscience? Yeah, of course, there is a point where uh, it will be interesting to explore that as well. Maybe not in this immediate uh, <laughs> future. Um, now, one of the things that, that we've noticed actually about our own trends work is that people seem to enjoy looking back at past trends that we've captured as much as at what we're capturing right now and and forecasting for the future. You know, we're always quite tough with ourselves that we do always report back on what we predicted the previous year and we do sort of always uh, look back at, at what we've captured over the years as being where we thought the noise was and where we thought the trends were going so that we can we can test ourselves and see how accurate we were. But um, it just makes me wonder whether actually a really big part of being able to forecast accurately, accurately is also having the ability to look backwards. Is that something you find yourself doing? <laughs> well, I think... Yeah, I mean, I have an example of that, perhaps, which is that I I did believe AR glasses were going to be with us much sooner. Yeah, I did strongly believe in AR glasses. And then I was surprised by, and let me see if I can explain this technically to all of you, by what's called video pass-through in VR. So basically, I'll explain that quickly, which is with with the AR glasses, you have the limitation of the hardware, Uh, not just in terms of the duration and the bulkiness or anything like that, but the actual field of view that the glass can provide you when you look at at an object in three dimensions in front of you and how that gets cut because there is only a limited space in the glass versus when you try to do mixed reality, kind of augmented reality with the video that comes through a VR headset, you have a much wider field of view and it just it just feels like real AR because you have the video of your reality coming through the VR glasses plus the overlaid information. And and in a way, to me, AR exists today, but it's through video pass-through technology in VR glasses versus the idea of people are walking around with AR glasses um, and so on. Um, So yeah, two years ago, I was such a strong believer of AR and now I'm like "Mm, this is still you know I look back I look forward and I'm like "Mm, not yet there and that's why most of the frames smart frames that we see in the market they can record and they have an audio assistant but they're not yet uh, so good at give us uh, giving us um uncored uncored 3d objects in our reality they can give little infographics which are super useful in, a, in one eye, uh, I mean, that's already super, super useful, um, but we're not yet there. And I think, yeah, I had to look back to to understand to understand where, where that trend is going. So you, you said you were kind of on that trend too early. Do, do you think that that was just a matter of timing or do you think that um, 
that that our understanding of the best ways to achieve this are are evolving. You know, do do you expect us to head as the technology matures back to that sort of vision you originally had, or 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 is your idea of of what will happen changing? I think no, you you said it correctly. It's many times human factors, and it's the pandemic what in a tragic way has brought to us much of much more of an openness or embracing technologies in our life and understanding them and investing in them biotech being one with the vaccine for example um so in terms of ar glasses i don't think people will care as much anymore if they're slightly bulky or if you know i just think when they're ready especially perhaps it's up if apple does it because apple is you know such a driver of trends um yeah, maybe they don't manage to do a super sleek, thin device, but I think even if it's slightly bulky, I think people will wear it. And maybe a few years back that wouldn't have happened, and that's why the Google Glass was so highly criticized, because we were not ready as humans to to see ourselves around wearing this. And now I'm like, why not? It's so useful. Hmm. Why wouldn't you? Well, I guess the, the, the barriers to adoption have have come down, but maybe also the barriers to rejection have come down. You know, we might we might see new technologies uh, emerging in the marketplace and falling away just very, very quickly, as well as being accepted very quickly sometimes. Well, some of these technologies also because they're in transition. Again, these kind of smart glasses, I think is a transition technology where at some point when you have full AR glasses, that are perfectly wearable, the battery lasts enough mm-hmm. and and uh, they're portable enough. I think like, why would you use the ones that only give you little notifications when you can have full AR? There are probably cases for it, but um, yeah. And the same with the mobile phone. Once you have full capability on your own, on, on, on a pair of glasses, how much are we going to be using the, the mobile phone? phone maybe initially as a supporting device but not as a main as the main device where we do everything well that would be an extraordinary moment i think if uh our phone got displaced as our as our primary yeah i don't think it's that far away i mean if you think about it there is even like health benefit there is social benefits of actually looking upwards looking at people being present um, there is the physical posture benefit. Um, so many, yeah, even the safety benefits of not being run by a car when you're on the streets. Like, <laughs> um, I mean, it sounds silly that I mentioned these, these uh, side benefits, but they, they are huge, actually, right now. A lot of the health and social um, friction that there is because of mobile phones. I mean, you can talk probably to any parent and see how they feel. Um, well, yeah, and, and and maybe going back to kind of where we began on on yeah. on what kind of helps you predict whether or not a particular trend will develop. Maybe that's always the best guide. You know, where will friction be removed for humans? What is it about the way that humans live their lives that could be made easier? And I guess we also do need to remember, you know, what is it about everyday life that's that maybe doesn't work very well. It's just that we've become used to it. And it's a great point, you know. I mean, I, I've never really thought about the fact that that there are just there are many um disadvantages to the fact that we have this 
device in our hand that we look down at all the time because it's become so ubiquitous. But if you could maintain its benefits whilst having your head back up in the world, then that would have to be a good thing. So um, yeah, and 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 actually, for us, we want to take a role as as educators as well, and I think brands should do this more as well like all of these experiences that we're trying to put together is is to show those benefits and some of our sponsors come to us so that we can show the benefits of these devices um to to the right people that that are decision makers and and they might you know be missing out because of the habit because of you know how hard it is sometimes to to take change um so yeah, being educators and, and examples to create experiences is is great. It's a great place to be. Well, we must we must end in a moment, uh, Elena. But I think uh, I, I'm going to do a really cruel thing and and say to you, if you had to name a year in which the smartphone would get supplanted by some other device, what year would Ooh. that? Be? <laughs> Well, to give a little bit of background there, we still need like edge computing, 5G and all of that to be properly in place to get rid of the of the device because you need the brain somewhere and you need a space for it. The glasses need to be as small as possible. So 5G and edge computing needs to be figured out. Who knows? I, um, and we need the ni- a nice pair of glasses. So from 2023, we might start seeing hints of this. But maybe it's 2025 when when we actually become more comfortable with it. That's only three years away. That's that's great. That means it's that, that moving fast. We can we can book you back onto this podcast in. Uh, <laughs> oh no, please, <laughs> <laughs> Elena. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. It really has. Thank you so much. No, thank you. And um, yeah, I guess if I if I come back, <laughs> I hope I can keep my word. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, that's it from uh, from Rowan and from me for this month. Um, we'll be back again with another podcast in April. Bye for now. Bye-bye.